Years ago, there was a very popular Christian song titled, The Touch of the Master's Hand. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the song, but in case it's been a while since you've heard it, or if you aren't familiar with it, here are the lyrics. Well, it was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer felt that it was hardly worth his while to waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. Well, it sure ain't much, but it's all we got left. I guess we ought to sell it, too. Oh, now who'll start the bid on this old violin? Just one more and we'll be through. And then he cried, one, give me one dollar. Who'll make it two? Only two dollars. Who'll make it three? Three dollars twice. Now that's a good price. Now who's going to bid for me? Raise up your hand now. Don't wait any longer. The auction's about to end. Who's got four? Just one dollar more to bid on this old violin. Well, the air was hot and the people stood around as the sun was setting low. From the back of the crowd, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. He wiped the dust from the old violin, then he tightened up the strings. And then he played out a melody pure and sweet, sweeter than the angels sing. Then the music stopped, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, he said, now what am I bid for this old violin? And he held it up with the bow. And then he cried out, one, give me one thousand, who'll make it two? Only two thousand, who'll make it three? Three thousand twice, you know, that's a good price. Come on, who's going to bid for me? And the people cried out, what made the change? We don't understand. The auctioneer stopped and he said with a smile, it was the touch of the master's hand. The song continues. You know, there's many a man with his life out of tune, battered and scarred with sin, and he's auctioned cheap to a thankless world, much like that old violin. Oh, but then the master comes and that old foolish crowd, they never understand the worth of a soul and a change that's wrought just by one touch of the master's hand. Again, he cried out, one, give me one thousand, who will make it two? Only 2,000, who will make it three? 3,000 twice, you know, that's a good price. Come on, who's going to bid for me? And the people cried out, what made the change? We don't understand. Then the auctioneer stopped and he said with a smile, it was the touch of the master's hand. Who can put a value on the touch of the master's hand? We're going to see an example of his touch in our text this morning and the story we consider. So please turn with me in your Bible to the second book of the New Testament, the Gospel according to Mark. Matthew is the first book, of course, in the New Testament. Then the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. As we continue our series through the Gospel of Mark, we come this morning to the final story in chapter 1, recorded in verses 40 through 45. So please follow along with me as I read these verses for us. Mark chapter 1, verse 40. Now a leper came to him, the hymn of course referring to Jesus. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. 
And Jesus strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. This is, of course, another fascinating incident in the life and ministry of our Lord. There is so much to this brief story and so many different ways to look at the story and the people who were involved. One of the interesting things this story shows us is that Jesus did not do miracles to attract a crowd, as so many supposed miracle workers do today. In fact, just as he did in this situation, Jesus often told the people who had experienced the miracle not to tell anyone. He often strictly commanded them not to tell anyone. For example, when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8, Verse 56 says, And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what happened. Jesus did not do miracles to attract a crowd. He did not do miracles to get a following. He did not do them to get people to send money to his ministry. He did not do them to increase his popularity. So why did Jesus do his miracles, the many miracles that are recorded for us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Why? He did them for at least three reasons. Compassion, validation, and salvation. Those are the three reasons. Number one, Jesus did miracles because of his compassion. He loved people. He hurt to see people hurting. His heart broke when he saw the devastation caused by living in a fallen, sin-cursed world. He was moved with compassion when he saw people suffering the ravages of sickness and disease and death. You will remember that he wept at the tomb of Lazarus, even though he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He entered into the anguish of other people. He was, as the prophet Isaiah predicted he would be, he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Matthew 9, verses 35 and 36 say, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus was moved with compassion. He did his miracles because of compassion. Beloved, let's not have an imbalanced view of Jesus or an imbalanced view of ministry by assuming that the only thing that is important in life is a person's soul and eternal destiny. Certainly it is true that the most important issue is a person's eternal destiny. No one can deny that. And Jesus said the same thing when he said, For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? 
So Jesus emphasized that the most important issue in life is a person's eternal destiny, but he did not emphasize that with a complete disregard for temporal suffering. He ministered to the body and the soul. He did his miracles because of compassion. Secondly, Jesus did his miracles as a validation. What I mean is, Jesus, throughout his ministry, claimed to be the promised Messiah. He claimed to be the Messiah promised in Hebrew Scripture, the Old Testament. And he performed his miracles as a validation of his claims. He fulfilled prophecies in Hebrew Scripture that stated what the Messiah would do once he arrived. So the miracles of Jesus were a part of his credentials. They were a validation. In fact, in John 10, 37, Jesus said this, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe in me. That's fair. If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe in me. Jesus basically was saying, If I am not able to do the miraculous things my Father in heaven does, don't believe my claims to, be, to deity and my claims of messiahship. Jesus' miracles were a validation of his claims of deity, his claims of messiahship. But then thirdly, Jesus performed miracles for salvation. What I mean is Jesus performed miracles to point people to the fact that he was God in human flesh and his power is able to deliver not only from sickness, but from sin. The goal of Jesus' miracles, the primary goal of his miracles, was to point people to their greatest need, which is salvation. His miracles were intended to give people evidence that he is the one sent from God to save us from our sins. That's why the Apostle John recorded several specific miracles in his gospel account. He said this at the end of his gospel in John 20, verses 30 and 31. He said, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's it. That's why Jesus did his miracles. He did them so people would believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God. And when people truly come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, not mere intellectual assent, when people come to believe in him wholeheartedly, when they embrace him, when they trust him, they find eternal life and salvation in him. So Jesus did his miracles for at least those three reasons. Compassion validation, salvation. And we'll see each one of those coming out as we continue to work our way through the Gospel of Mark week after week, seeing the various miracles of Jesus. For this morning, we want to consider this one in particular that Mark records at the end of chapter 1 where Jesus cleanses a leper. Notice how Mark describes this to us, beginning in verse 40. <clears throat> he says, now a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. 
How can I describe to you the pathetic and miserable condition of a person who had leprosy? It was a wretched condition. In Numbers 12.12, it is referred to as a living death. You can see this man's desperateness just by the way Mark describes this. He says this leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Leprosy was a dreaded disease. Because it was such a dreaded disease, the person who had it was often seen as despicable. And maybe you're saying, well, that's not right, that society would look at a person that way. It may not have been right, but it was what it was. That was, that was the fact. That, that's exactly how the person was often viewed. He had to live apart from society. And whenever he came into contact with society, in other words, if he came walking into the village or into the town or into the city, he had to announce his arrival by crying out, unclean, unclean. People feared lepers because they were afraid they might contract the same disease. And let me tell you something. You didn't want to contract and experience leprosy. It is a disease that kills the nerve endings in a person's appendages, with the result that the person often end up, ended up rubbing off his own fingers, toes, and frequently the nose. For years, it was believed that leprosy ate away at a person's skin and appendages. And there is some truth in that. But the more that was discovered about leprosy, it was discovered that because of the numbing of the nerves, the person actually does it to himself or herself over time without realizing what he or she is doing. So it was not uncommon for lepers to have little to no fingers, Little to no toes, little to no ears, open sores on the knees, elbows, hips, and a stub nose as a result of wear and tear. We don't know how far this man's situation had digressed. Mark doesn't tell us. But there's a sense in which it doesn't matter because he was imprisoned in his condition with no place to go but down. No cure for leprosy, no solution. That was this man's condition. Somehow, he heard about Jesus. So he decided to break the social code. He decided to do something that was unthinkable, something that might have gotten him stoned by a crowd. He approached Jesus. He said to the Lord here in verse 40, If you are willing, you can make me clean. That lets us know that there was no doubt in this man's mind that Jesus could heal him. The only question in his mind was the Lord's divine will. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I, I don't know what your will is. I know what your power is. I know what your ability is. I just don't know what your will is in this situation. And beloved, that's the way it is in our situations of life. When we go through hard times, difficult times. There's no doubt that Jesus can deliver. There's no doubt he can heal. There's no doubt he can intervene in our, our despondent, uh, despondent situations of life. But often, his will is different than what we might assume. 
Not only is His will different, it's better. That's what we have to accept. Like the three Hebrew young men who were about to be thrown into the fiery furnace as recorded in the book of Daniel, we have to say, our God is able. But we don't know what His plan is. And His plan is best. So we'll accept His plan. Sometimes the Lord delivers. Sometimes He heals. Sometimes He does not. This man evidently understood those things. He knew Jesus could heal him. But he didn't know if that was the Lord's will in this situation. That's why he worded his statement the way he did here in verse 40. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 41 tells us, Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. There is no way we can grasp this moment. No, no way. Jesus touched this man. He touched a leper. That was unthinkable. This man had not been touched since he had be, been a leper. That could have been years. We don't know. He had not been touched since he had been a leper. As I said a moment ago, this man was imprisoned in his condition with no place to go but down. It was a hopeless condition. One moment he is in an indescribable condition of misery. The next moment he is clean. Can you imagine it? No, you can't. And neither can I. The compassion of Jesus on this occasion and the power of Jesus are beyond remarkable. He healed this man instantly. Mark tells us here in verse 41 that Jesus was moved with compassion. We don't want to skip over that too quickly. What an insight into our Lord's heart. He was moved with compassion. Matthew 14, 14 says, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Matthew 20 tells about when two blind men cried out to Jesus for mercy. And verse 34 of that chapter says, So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Luke 7 tells about a time when Jesus was in the city or the village of Nain up in northern Israel and a dead man was being carried out for burial. The man was the only son of his mother and she was a widow. Verses 13 through 15 of that chapter tell us, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still, and Jesus said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and Jesus presented him to his mother. Oh, the immense compassion of our Lord for those who are hurting. No wonder the songwriter penned those words years ago. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Jesus was moved with compassion for this leper 
So he touched him and healed him instantly. Verse 42 tells us, As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. It would be a gross understatement to say that this man's life would never be the same again. He went from being an outcast to being a celebrity instantly. He went from being someone who was avoided at all costs to being someone who was now an attraction. But all that aside, he went from being someone whose life was worse than miserable to being someone who had a brand new chance at life. Notice that Mark says he was cleansed following the same wording of the request of the man up in verse 40. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And then in verse 41, Jesus saying, I am willing to be cleansed. And now Mark tells us, and he was cleansed. That is significant. Mark could have simply said that the man was healed. But he specifically said he was cleansed. Mark worded it this way to emphasize the fact that this man was not only healed, he was no longer ceremonially or socially unclean. He was no longer considered an unclean outcast of society. You know, it's one thing to be blind and be healed, as Jesus did on several occasions, healed blind people. It was one thing to be lame and be healed, The blind and lame were often treated with compassion. But as I said earlier, lepers were often treated with disdain. They were unclean. So this man not only had a physical problem, he had a social problem. He had a relational problem. Jesus not only healed this man physically, but he also cleansed the man ceremonially. He cleansed him socially. Now the man could be around people. Now he could talk with people, interact with people, socialize with people. That is what makes this event even more life-changing. It is unimaginable for us to relate to what Jesus did for this man. Impossible for us to grasp. What compassion was shown to this man by our Lord? But then the story takes a surprising turn. If we were writing the script, we'd probably put a period right here and stop the story. Great way to end. Everyone's happy. This is marvelous. This is wonderful. But the story doesn't stop. Verse 43, And he strictly, Jesus strictly warned the man and sent him away at once. This statement shows us that Jesus was very serious about the command he was about to give. He strictly or sternly warned this man. That's important to keep in mind because otherwise it would be easy for us to downplay the seriousness of what Mark tells us in just a few minutes. Jesus strictly warned this man and sent him away at once. There's no way this man misunderstood Jesus' command. It was strict. It was stern. It was very direct, very straightforward. Jesus did not want this man hanging around. 
and he didn't want him broadcasting the miracle he had experienced. This probably sounds strange to us at first. What? Why would Jesus not want this man hanging around? We're just told about his compassion. That sounds unloving. What's going on here? It sounds strange now, but the reason comes out as the story unfolds. Verse 44 tells us, And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus actually gave this man two commands. And as I said, two very serious commands. Very stern, straightforward commands. The first one was, see that you tell no one. Jesus commanded this man not to tell others. Which begs the question, why? Why is Jesus saying this? The answer is because Jesus knew that if this man decided to broadcast the miracle, the result would be that the people would get all caught up in the miracle and not end up listening to Jesus' message. Jesus knew the tendency of our human hearts. He knew the crowds would get the wrong focus. That's one of the reasons why he left Capernaum up in verse 38. Do you remember verse 38 from last week? It says, Jesus said to them, Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Jesus Jesus specifically left because the crowds were seeking him. In verse 36, Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Jesus, everyone is trying to find you. And in response to that, Jesus said, let's go. Let's go to the next towns. Let's leave here, go to the other villages. The crowds grew in response to all the healing Jesus had done. And that resulted in Jesus deciding to move on for a while. He knew how easy it would be for the people to become fixed on the wrong thing. This is exactly what happened in John 6 when Jesus fed the 5,000. John 6.15 says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Jesus regularly pulled away from the crowds because he didn't want to reinforce their wrong assumptions of what kind of Messiah he was. The crowds then, just like people today, wanted someone who would change their circumstances. They basically wanted free food and free health care. That's what they wanted. Jesus could heal them. He could give them, he could multiply bread, free food, free health care. That's what they wanted. But the primary focus of Jesus' ministry was not to change circumstances, but to change hearts. That's why he didn't want all of his miracles to be proclaimed throughout the land. Remember what I said earlier in the introduction. Jesus did not perform his miracles to attract a crowd. He performed his miracles out of compassion and as a validation and for salvation. But he knew that people would easily get focused on the wrong thing. If you doubt that, Just look at Christianity today. 
there is a huge segment of Christianity here and around the world, maybe the majority, that totally revolves around supposed miracles and healings and supposed casting out of demons and speaking in an unintelligible babble. That is what the Christian life is all about to many people. That is Christianity to many people. They are totally fixated on the wrong thing. Jesus fully knew this tendency of the human heart. He knew this. So he commanded this man not to tell others. Don't tell others. It's it's as if Jesus was saying, listen, I did this out of compassion for you because of your wretched condition. I did this out of compassion. Now just accept it privately. Don't announce it. It's just going to complicate things for my ministry, so don't tell anyone. That was his first request or his first command. The second command Jesus gave this man was to go to the priest and offer the gift that was prescribed in Leviticus 14, 4 through 7. Remember now, when Jesus was ministering here on the earth, the Old Testament law was still in force. Jesus had not yet fulfilled it and instituted the new covenant. That would happen at the end of his life. But at this point, the old covenant was still in force. So Jesus basically told this man to obey what the law of God said in Leviticus 14 by carrying out the prescribed offering. And then Jesus added the phrase at the end of this verse, at the end of verse 44, as a testimony to them. In other words, Jesus did not want this man to broadcast the news to the population in general, but Jesus did want the religious leaders to know what he had done because that would be a validation of his messianic claims. Jesus told this man, go to the priest, obey what the law of God said, and also, if you'll do this, it will be a testimony to them, to the high priest or the chief priest, the the spiritual leaders of Israel. Basically, Jesus was giving them the evidence they needed to believe in him. However, if you know the story of the Gospels, then you know that the religious leaders of Israel did not believe in Jesus. They rejected him and basically uh, worked with the Romans to get him murdered. They rejected the Lord in spite of all the evidence he gave them, but they were not able to say that they weren't given ample evidence. Jesus instructed this man to go to the priest. We don't know if he did that or not. Mark doesn't tell us. But we do know what he did do. Verse 45, However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every direction. Now think about this. This man, in his excitement, disobeyed Jesus. It is tragically sad. He disobeyed Jesus by telling the story far and wide. Not only that, the way this verse reads implies that he didn't even go to the priest as required in the Mosaic law. So if that is the case, he basically robbed the priest 
from the evidence that Jesus wanted to give to the priest to back up his messianic claims. Jesus wanted this man to go to obey the law of God, but also to, to give evidence to the religious leaders of Israel as to who he was. And if this man didn't go, he basically stole that evidence from them. As I said earlier, it would be easy for us to minimize this by saying, well, come on, come on, the guy was just thankful and, and excited about what Jesus had done for him. That may be true. But it was still disobedience. And, and, and it was disobedience that had major consequences for Jesus. Mark tells us here in this verse, as a result of this man's disobedience, Jesus had to move his ministry away from the city and into the desert regions. Think about what that means. This means that for all intents and purposes, the teaching ministry of Jesus, the preaching ministry of Jesus in that city came to a grinding halt. It was done. It was over. He couldn't preach and teach, which was the most important thing he was doing. He couldn't do it because people were mobbing him as a miracle worker. That's all people wanted now, is a miracle. They didn't want the content of his teaching. They didn't want to hear his message, repent and believe the gospel, which we're told earlier in Mark 1. They didn't want anything to do with repentance and believing the gospel. They didn't want anything to do with a, a heart change. They just wanted a circumstance change. Jesus could not do the most important thing which was his teaching people how to be right with God, how to have eternal life, how to have their sins forgiven. He couldn't do that because this healed leper disobeyed. That's serious. That is serious. Beloved, let this be a reminder to us that when Jesus gives us a command by his word, it is our responsibility to obey it whether we understand the reason or not whether we understand the purpose or not. This man's disobedience had a significant impact on what Jesus wanted to do in his ministry. And consider this thought. You can't help but wonder if Jesus knew in advance that this man was going to end up doing this, but Jesus healed him anyway. We don't know for sure if Jesus knew because... There were occasions during the Incarnation when the Father's will was for Jesus to know the future, but not always. Remember, in the Incarnation, which we celebrate at Christmas, in the Incarnation, when He became a man, He chose to live as a man. He chose not to give up His deity, but to set aside the independent use of His attributes of deity. So He didn't always use His attributes of deity, one of them being omniscience. So He didn't always know the future. For example... In Mark 13, 32, Jesus said this about the time of his return. He said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. The Father didn't always will that Jesus know the future, so we can't say for sure if Jesus knew this man would end up disobeying and causing this major problem. We don't know. But if he did know and healed him anyway, what a further display of the unspeakable love and compassion of our Lord. 
Now, regardless of whether Jesus knew in advance or not, this man's disobedience had a significant impact on the way Jesus wanted to carry out his ministry. Jesus wanted to preach and teach the message, repent and believe the gospel, which he had been preaching. Mark 1 tells us that. That's what Jesus wanted to do in the city, to the people, to the multitudes. But Jesus had to pull away, at least for a while, to let the uproar die down. It's a sad way to end the story. Sorry to pop your bubble, you know, if you were thinking it was going to be a really happy ending. This is not the way Hollywood would end the story. It's not the way we would see it in the movies. It would end on a high note and an upbeat statement. And you know, Jesus healed this man and, and, and the man obeyed Jesus. He went to the priest and he showed and he gave evidence saying, Jesus is the Messiah. See, he healed me of my leprosy. But that's not the way the story ends. Mark tells us here in verse 45, Jesus could no longer openly enter the city. He, just, he was excluded. He had, to, he had to pull away. Yet, that didn't stop people from looking for and finding this miracle worker. That's all people wanted. The end of this verse says, and they came to him from every direction. But the sad reality is that in all probability, they didn't come to him to hear his message. They didn't come to him to hear him say how to be right with God, how to have your sins forgiven, how to have eternal life. They came to him because, hey, they heard there's a miracle worker out there in the desert somewhere. We need to go find him, get our miracle. What an amazing story these few verses tell us. They reveal to us the amazing compassion of Jesus as well as his power and his purposes. Jesus healed this leper with a simple touch. However, let me remind you of something in closing. As you know, Jesus doesn't always do things this way. What I mean is, his plan and his purpose and his will are not the same in every circumstance and situation. For example, we are told in John 5 about Jesus coming to the pool of Bethesda, in which, John specifically tells us, there were a multitude of sick people gathered around this pool because there was this, this belief out there that when an angel stirred the waters, if you got in first, you got healed. And so all these people were there sort of waiting. And of this whole crowd, John 5 tells us, Jesus healed one person in particular. Why not heal all of those people gathered? We don't know why. It's, it's, our own, it's, our, it's our Lord's own sovereign purposes. So, again, I say his plan and his purpose and his will are not the same in every circumstance and situation. Jesus healed this man out of compassion. But he also healed as a validation of his credentials, and he healed to lead others to salvation. And that helps us understand why Jesus doesn't always heal today. It's not that he has any less compassion. Certainly not true that he has any less power. But his plan... His purpose or His will is not the same in every circumstance, in every situation. So we need to accept that. We need to say, as this man did, if you are willing, you can do this for me. There's no reason to doubt our Lord's power or our Lord's compassion. But we have to accept His will. If you are willing, Lord, 
Your will is best. You know best. Like the three Hebrew young men who are about to be thrown into the fiery furnace in the book of Daniel, we have to say, our God is able. We know that. But we don't know what his plan is, and his plan is best, so we'll accept his plan. Like the men and women of faith in Hebrews 11 who were tortured, the text says, and didn't experience deliverance or didn't experience healing or didn't experience a reversal of terrible circumstances, we need to believe God and trust God. We need to be men and women of faith who pray as our Lord did in the Garden of Gethsemane on his final night before his death. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And we need to accept our Lord's will, whatever that is. Sometimes his will is to heal or deliver. Sometimes his will is for his people to walk through the fire. Either way, his compassion should not be questioned. Let's bow together as we close this morning. Please bow your head with me as we take just a few minutes here at the end of our service to contemplate what we have seen this morning from the Word of God. And the thing that stands out as we consider this story is not only the power of our Lord, the compassion of our Lord, but the purpose of our Lord. He knew his purpose. He knew what the angel told Joseph and Mary prior to his birth, that he will save his people from their sins. He knew his mission. He knew he had come to save people from their sins. And although he healed out of compassion and touched people's lives, and often he did that, his ultimate goal, his greatest goal, was to bring people salvation, to bring people the message that we need to repent and believe the gospel. So that's the message I leave with you this morning. The message that Jesus would want us to hear. The message he wanted people in the first century to hear. The message he wants people in the 21st century to hear. That we are sinners. We are sinners by birth, by nature, by choice, by practice. We deserve God's judgment. Every one of us in this room is in the same category. We deserve God's judgment. But God sent his son, born of a virgin, born in a manger, born in Bethlehem. God sent his son to provide a means of escape. Jesus grew to be a man, lived the perfect life, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And now his message to us is repent and believe the gospel. Repent of sin. Let go of whatever is holding you back and turn to Jesus Christ in faith. Embrace him by faith. Receive him by faith. So that's the message for us today. That's the message for you, the message for me. If you're here today and you don't know Christ personally, maybe you know about him, you know of him, but you don't know him personally, you need to repent. Let go of whatever is holding you back. Acknowledge that you are a sinner. Acknowledge that you deserve God's judgment. But call out to him for mercy and forgiveness and salvation. And receive the greatest gift anyone could ever receive. The gift of forgiveness and salvation and eternal life in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Father, thank you for the time we've had this morning to look at this brief but profound account in Mark's gospel. It, it says so many things to us, teaches us so many things, but above all, it's a reminder to us of our Lord's mission, his purpose, why he came. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to bring salvation, to bring forgiveness. And so we pray this morning for every one of us gathered here that we would do inventory in our own lives. We would take stock. We would, we would evaluate and assess where we really stand with you. And we pray for anyone who is not ready for eternity, who has not received Jesus Christ by faith. May your Holy Spirit bring understanding so that that man, woman, young person, whoever it is, would receive Jesus Christ by faith, in whose name we pray. Amen.